to Pastor's Prophecy Hour, your midweek installment of the Greater Life Church podcast. I'm Landon, and I'm here with our associate pastor, Moises Zayas, who's going to be bringing us this episode of Pastor's Prophecy Hour. First of all, welcome back, Pastor Moises. What are you going to be talking about this week? Landon, I'm excited about this week because this week we're going to be decoding the judgment files. We're going to take the term the judgment of God and really break it down and run parallels as to what triggered God to bring his judgment upon people, what caused it to happen, how it happened, and how nowadays we could actually run a parallel as to what we see in our world and know that those same triggers may apply or may not apply, but not to use the term too loosely. All right, let's get into it. my voice being a little weird is because I don't know I guess this pollen that everybody's getting I, I don't know what to do and how to get rid of it it's just I'm stuck with it so I told a guy yesterday on the phone one of our church guys that it's either that the pollen is really attacking me or I'm going to puberty at 37 so um, <laughs> and that's probably not it so um, it's, it's probably the pollen so uh Tonight, we're going to be decoding the judgment files, okay? Um, One of the most misunderstood and misrepresented and controversial phrases in the Christian and secular community is when we use this terminology of the judgment of God, okay? And I I know that if, if, if we went to just jump into the judgment of God and what all that entails and Every time it's mentioned in scripture and what it's referring to, we, we need more than 45 minutes to do so. So I'm going to kind of give you what I have. And, and I know this is going to kind of be difficult to, to put it together. But I, I, I put together the thoughts that, that come to mind when it comes to this, the judgment of God concept. And what is and what isn't. How does it start? What triggers it? And, and, and how we see it um, in scripture. Because I think um, as believers, we have kind of learned to throw this term around very loosely we, we see something bad happen to a group of people that we disagree with their practices or what they do and we instantly say that's God right right like 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 if a storm attacked Louisiana we think it's because of the witchcraft and Mardi Gras right I mean, we, we, we made these like equations. We have like these equations in our minds. That we don't write them down. It's just we've, we've kind of molded ourselves to, to throw this term around based, based on what we think could happen. There's no, nothing wrong with that term, and it's, 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 it's well, all well and good, but um, it, it's easier to explain when it's happening to bad people. It's easier to, to, to throw that term around when, when we could justify it right? But then it becomes harder when it happens to good people. We, we quickly run out of, out of reasons and explanations when we see something bad happen to a good person, right? One of the biggest frustrating things that I deal with as, as a pastor in, in through, through the years is that we have become experts at discipline as pastors in churches. We have become experts at discipline, right? If someone comes up to me and tells me, I made a mistake. I did something wrong. I, I, I have morally failed. We have become experts at what that person can't do any longer. We could throw those things out very quickly. Oh, now you can't do this. You can't do this. You, you're no longer going to be able to do this. You need to start doing this. You, you, so, so we have kind of become experts at discipline, but we, we, we've kind of 
gotten kind of horrible on a plan of redemption or what those things look like on the other side of things, you know? So, so it's, easier, it's easier to look at it when, when we disagree with the group, when, they, when we disagree with their practice, when we see people and what they do, and, 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 and we think they're wrong, and we think that they're being evil, and, and it's easier to bring the judgment of God on people, you know, because we saw something bad happen to them. Like, take, take for instance, let's go back to September 11, 2001, right? It's funny, I like asking people, where were you that day? You know what I'm saying? Because it's interesting. You know, I was suspended at home because I got into a fight. And I, I got up. I got up at 11 o'clock or something, you know, slept in. I'm a teenager. And my mom is like, you're not going to believe what's happening. You know what I'm saying? It was one of those moments. But people wanted an explanation of why God didn't stop the terrorists. And countless explanations came out, and you simply, by listening to all the different things, you, you quickly, very, very quickly understand that th there's a certain level of ignorance on, bib on biblical understanding of what takes place, right? Some said that it was initiated by the CIA. And you've watched the videos probably on YouTube and stuff of all the craziness right that was started by the cia uh, to start an islamic world. you know the, the war in this islamic world on the islamic world others say that since the jews didn't show up for the towers that day to work that the attack was done by israeli Mossad agents posing as islamic terrorists others others say that the plane the plane never crashed the pentagon that it was bombs that were pre-planted others say that that the planes couldn't take the towers down that they, there had to be bombs and the way the steel looked and how it burned down and how the, the towers fell and and that the plane that flew over pennsylvania that ended up crashing didn't end up crashing that it was fire jets u.s fire jets that ended up taking it down but when the real question came up when the real question came up, was this the judgment of God on the economy of the U.S.? People were appalled. How? Right? There's no way God would let such evil strike down on so many good people. People got offended that an attack like this on so many innocent people would be allowed. And we have found a certain level of ignorance when it comes to understanding the judgment of God and how it's released and why it's released. You know, we have these accounts of an all-knowing God, all-powerful God that allows certain things to take place in Scripture and affect innocent people, right? And it's at times, for some of us, it's hard to explain. I have gotten questions from kids that tell me, weren't, weren't they, I mean, you know, in the flood, wasn't there women pregnant and kids and you know so we take our limited minds and and take events on our day-to-day -day basis and build this contrast as to you know if this is an all-knowing God all-powerful God I have to justify it in my mind one way or another to to, to make it meet my to, to make it meet my my morality mold right and 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 we start giving reasons and not giving reasons as to why it took place and and in our limitation we could agree that at times we missed the mark when we throw that term around and we'll see it on the other side of things now there's there's a sense of justice inside all of us right we we all have this, this desire 
to, for some justice to take place when something is done wrong or someone acts evil or, or people are getting away with something. I, I believe that, that, that we, we're part of a just God is one of the characteristics of a God that created us this way, right? And, and I'm probably not going to show a video because I have a lot of stuff here. I was trying to show you the video to give you a break, but <laughs> you're just going to have to listen to me. We're just going this way. So the, 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 word, the word judgment is mentioned in the New Testament 76 times, right? With multiple different meanings. We have, we have things like the judgment seat of Christ. The, the, Paul spoke of a future heavenly judgment where all believers will, will give account for their works and words. The judgment will take place in heaven. And it's mentioned in Revelations 11, 11 18. The, great, the, the other one is the great white throne of judgment. This one is a judgment that occurs in the heavenly temple at the end of the thousand-year reign of Christ. But the most noted example of the wrath and judgment of God being released upon the earth is found in Revelations when John saw the cosmic, cosmic calamities and natural disasters impacting the waters, rivers, cities, and food supplies over most of the earth. These judgments are identified and specifically known as the wrath of God, the wrath of the Lamb, the judgment of God, okay? And those are the ones you and I have come to know, right? So every time something like this takes place, we, we, we're ready to stamp a label on it, right? Still, there are numerous examples of God weighing down, like, uh, on cities and nations and the world, uh, you know, based on their, their guilt or their innocence and, 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 and related to his law-breaking and, and the covenant and how people went about living their lives a certain way. So we, we could take examples of Scripture and see how God reacted at certain times, and we could kind of use this to, to create a parallel to what we see today and how we could kind of truly assess things that are taking place in our nation, in our world, in our communities, and with the people around us. For example, King Belshazzar of Babylon hosted a midnight party where he supplied the wine from the golden vessels that were seized from Jer Jerusalem's sacred temple. He also worshipped Babylonian gods, okay? So what did God do? God pretty much crashes the party, right? And this is when he writes the words that were translated by Daniel in chapter 5, verse 27, where he says, you have been weighted in the balance and found wanting. Daniel stood before the king that evening and predicted his empire would fall that very night from the Persians, and it actually took place, right? So we take stories like this, and we just go after them. And we apply this to our world today. It is, it is understandable why you see events in our world take place and for us to account these events as judgments or wrath from God from a certain group of people, you know? In biblical history, you see God numerous times just pretty much, uh, uh, he had a hit list against certain cities and people that were doing evil things, perversion, iniquities, communities that have fallen astray. We have Sodom and Gomorrah. We have the city of Nineveh. The, the people of Jerusalem broke God's law, which led them into being invaded by the Babylonians that, were, that, that held Jews in captivity for 70 years, right? So, I mean, th there's events biblically that took place that will show us that there's a God that eventually won't sit silent forever. But how do we get there? 
So the first thing that we have to look at is to determine what is and what is not from God, right? When you assess a situation, um, why is this important? Because you and I are being called to guide and proclaim an active gospel to a world that needs to hear it. So when we're throwing around these things, like we know what we're talking about, and we're, we're, we're stamping judgment here and stamping judgment there, we, we kind of tend to, to, to show that to the rest of the world, and a person could be destroyed by, by it or build up by it, okay? Especially if we're wrong. A good indicator of God's, of God's involvement in a disaster would be a natural disaster. Why is that? Can anybody tell me? Why would that be a good indicator of God's involvement in a situation? Because he could only control it, right? Unlike a terrorist attack or a massive shooting or display by a human being somewhere, a natural disaster is something that kind of happens, right? That doesn't mean that God should be blamed for every single natural disaster that has taken place. And I'll show you biblically how certain things have taken place in Scripture that were natural things that really didn't involve God in some sense. You could almost assume that, right? But when looking at a judgment from God, a natural disaster could tend to be one of those things that we could kind of use as a, as a lever to de determine, well, this, this is something that God would have to allow, right? Like when the forces of nature are released, you know, you got wind, earth, fire, tornadoes, hurricanes, uh, storms, earthquakes, volcanoes, rain, flood, along with the lack of rain resulted in drought and famine in a lot of areas. All right? Now, let's break some of these down. When we're seeing two extremes, right now we see two extremes of drought and flood happening, right? You got California who's gone through a four-year drought of rivers and lakes and outdoor water supplies drying up, right? And then you, you got the complete opposite on the east side of things where, where, where people, floods are happening and things are taking place, right? And, and all of a sudden, you know, people are being hit and, 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 and cities are being hit with, with massive amounts of water, up to three feet of water in, in a few hours, right? So then you got the earthquakes, and, and the funny thing about the earthquakes is twofold, okay? And I want to kind of bring attention to this because it's not, there's the, the natural shakings that take place, right? Where, where, where we see like, like there's earthquakes that take place that don't necessarily affect anyone, okay? Like Moses in Mount Sinai, okay? The whole thing was smoking and shaking, but nobody was hurt, Okay? Christ's death and resurrection, the place was shaking, the veil was torn, nobody was hurt, okay? Paul and Silas had the soaking happen at the jail cell, right? They had the duo going on, chains fell off, iron doors were taken off hinges, falling off, okay? Obviously something was shaking, but there are natural earthquakes that are caused, but no injuries or death, right? But there are also earthquakes that are signs of wrath of God that do end up, you know, uh, bringing devastation into a lot of places for one reason or another. You know, wind is also con considered a manifestation of God. In, in Acts chapter 2, the festival of Pentecost, a mighty wind blew into the room. 
that, that during that late night boat ride in the Sea of Galilee that almost turned into a disaster. A high waves and strong winds suddenly hit the boat, right? However, this storm in the Sea of Galilee is a great example of what we like to stamp at something from God. Okay? We like to say, because there was a high wind that happened, God was doing something. He was trying to shake them up a little bit. Okay? What makes that story not an event that we can say that God wasn't involved? Yeah, because Jesus rebukes it. So if it's an action from God, you're saying that the son is rebuking the father in disagreement of an action. You follow me? But because we see a natural disaster take place, we're very quick to judge the scenario. And if we just read a little bit more, dig a little bit more into it, we'll realize that maybe in this scenario, the Sea of Galilee, this happens very often. All right? Now, we could get into deeper discussions and like, oh, what, I, mean, I mean, did God not know? And You know what I'm saying? I, but, but we just have to be careful because we use that term too loosely, I feel like. Fire is another one. Where did we see fire in Scripture come down? Sodom and Gomorrah. Where did we see fire come down where people weren't hurt? Pentecost. Elijah. 450 prophets. Yeah, I mean, yeah, eventually. I mean, there, there was hurt that happened eventually. I mean, I, you know. Right? The high priest, those, those sons of the high priest that decided to offer their own fire to God, that, that God actually called it strange fire. Right? There's, there's this constant concept that happens back and forth. You know, these examples show us that storm, floods, earthquakes, tsunamis, and other natural disasters, believers must exercise discretion and discernment when publicly announcing that these events are judgments and warnings from God. Because we don't know those things. Right? And we, we replace these things because we don't know them. What do we say? I feel in my spirit. Right? Have you heard that? I've been feeling in my spirit. This doesn't feel right to my spirit. Listen, not that there's anything wrong with that. I get it. I look at my wife sometimes. You feel that? Yeah. Mm. That feels weird. You walk into, have you ever walked into a place and you're like, ugh, this feels weird in here, right? I can't call it, right? That could be one of the spirit moments, right? But you have to be careful. You have to be careful because we ultimately have become too loose with the term God said, God did. You know what I'm saying? And it's scary when you don't know. You got to be careful with that. I was sitting, I remember one time I was sitting on the front row of a, my wife and I were, um, she was, um, she was like, we were president and vice president. Of, the youth group would select representatives. It's like a government. Um, the youth group would back in the day select uh, representatives, okay? And, and they would select a secretary, which would handle the money, all right? They would select a, uh, a, a spokesperson. I don't know what they did. Um, and they would have a president and a vice president, almost like if you die, the other person steps in, and this thing keeps going, right? It's just youth ministry. Calm down. Um, <clears throat> so 
you know, we, we put together this student-led revival service kind of thing. Back in the day, we invited a preacher, pay all this money from the youth budget, and, and just invited the whole church, invited other churches to come and bring their youth groups, and the place is packed. We're having this fun time, and it's literally uh, Rosie and I were engaged at the time, okay? We met our, Rosie and I met in, in kids' ministry. We were working together, and that's how we came to know each other. And we, you know, I fell in love with her before she fell in love with me. It's a long story, but I'll, I'll tell you another day, right? But the point is we're sitting in the front row, and, and I'm sitting there. I'm sitting there. My friend who's part of this committee is sitting there. Rosie's sitting there. The other person's sitting here, and the place is packed. This, this pastor, just out the blue, all right, just starts, he's preaching, he's walking around, and he's telling stories, he's got everybody rolling, it's great. So he looks at my friend and at Rosie, I said, ha, I see a little something, something going on right here. You know, completely speaking out of turn, okay? I mean, we started laughing, Okay. Because we knew. We're like, dude, you're, I mean, there's like 500, 600 people in this room, and they all know this guy and this girl are engaged, and this guy's just a friend, right? And you're like, he's like, he's like you know, like, like God just hit him with some revelation. Like, you know, like, hey, listen, I don't know. I mean, you know, when God speaks, you got to follow through. He's completely digging himself into a hole, Right? I didn't get up and say anything, man. I'm, I'm like, you're lying. You know, I, I wasn't. I was <laughs> but we just have to be careful that we don't get ourselves into a position where we hinder something. What if we didn't know? What if we didn't laugh about it? What if Rosie would have said, oh, man, you know what I'm saying? Maybe this is, is this guy right, you know? Or my buddy would have looked at me like, bro, she's mine now, like, you know? <laughs> You know, we have to be very careful to not look at these events and, 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 and just apply these rules and these equations that we just have made up in our mind. Not because we're, I mean, listen, we, a lot of us have grown up in churches and we, we've seen things and we kind of know how God operates. So we're confident in that. And I don't blame you for that, you know. But we just have to be careful because there's always someone watching because there, there's always people there. You know what would happen to a prophet when he was wrong? Exactly. You know, what if that was the rule with us? This room would be empty right now, right? Exactly. So what triggers the judgment of God? What are the things that trigger the judgment of God? Now, there are several things, but usually from what we have seen, when great evil and wickedness occurs in a region such as during the days of Noah and Lot, judgment is usually not far away, okay? And it's usually directed towards the in instigators and participants of the evil. Why? Because since evil, wickedness, and criminal activity can only be manifested through the minds and hearts of people whose negative actions impact others, the removal of the promoters of evil is key because it wicked, it, 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 the, the wickedness is weakened and their influence disappears. Like, for instance, if we take the judgment of Sodom, two generations were removed, the young generation and the old generation. Why? Because if the old generation would, be, would have been left alive, they would have 
transfer that to the next generation. Same for the young generation. If they would have survived, they would have been able to verbally transfer what they had experienced in that evil and wickedness behavior into other generations. So God strikes at the core and removes both generations. Now, another good scripture indicator that seems to unlock the door of judgment is when the cup of iniquity is full. Okay? When the cup of iniquity is full. What does this mean? So God reveals to Abraham the future descendants and spoke of the time that they would be in captivity in Egypt and later be brought out of God's power. In Genesis chapter 15, verse 16, is where we see this, when he speaks of the Amorites, okay? The Bible says, after four generations, your descendants will return here to this land, for the sins of the Amorites do not yet warrant their destruction. In the New King James Version, it says, for the iniquity of the Amorites is not yet full, okay? So when the cup of iniquity is full, in other words, the judgment of the Amorites would come once their iniquities were full and completed. The Hebrew word here for full is shalem, okay? Which which, which is also the word complete, but it also carries the idea of peace and security. Now listen to where I'm going with this, okay? Because this is key and important in understanding what triggers God to say this is it. The idea is that as long as there is resistance to sin and iniquity, there is an opportunity for grace and mercy to be released. However, once the sin and the iniquity have become acceptable and people feel at peace, living in sin and ignoring repentance, then judgment is released. All right? This is extremely important when understanding the timing of the future great tribulation. Okay? We are currently in the church age of dispensation of the grace of God. The message, repent, right? For the kingdom of God is at hand. is being preached all over the world. Now, as time passes and sin, sin becomes more common, people will no longer see a reason to repent as they see nothing that they're doing is wrong. Does that sound familiar? It's happening maybe a little bit today. Just a little bit, not a lot. During the tribulation period, when judgments are erupting all over the place, John actually writes three times, men repent not. I'm going to grab a tissue. I'm not crying. I'm just getting emotional. I'm just kidding. It's sad to think of it this way, to hear John say it three times, men repent not, right? There will be a time where people will know God is sending his judgment upon them, but they still will refuse to humble themselves and turn away from their wickedness. Where they'll know that calamity and the things happening around them are coming from God, but still they will be stubborn enough to hang on to their sin and not turn away from their wickedness. Man, I say we're really close to that. 
This makes you wonder, right? What is keeping our country together? How are we staying afloat? What keeps us away from destruction as a nation? Because when we look at what's happening around us, we're, it's, it's almost like it's just crazy. This is crazy. And the, the truth is, and I'm super extremely thankful for it, is that there's a remnant in America. I'm not trying to pump our chests and like, oh, we're the Christian nation, you know. But there is a remnant in America, right, that understands the consequences of mocking God's covenant and rejecting his word. That's true. You're sitting here right now. You, you think, well, oh, says, I don't have anything to do with that. Yes, you do. Right? This remnant is continually seeking God's face for mercy, and his mercy has been extended to this nation despite bad leadership, bad decisions, bad laws. The sad part is that because we've experienced this, we have become comfortable, and we have deceived ourselves to think that we could do no wrong. And that God is smiling down on everything we say and do. The reality is that America is hanging over the abyss of economy collapse. A natural disaster. Literally hanging by a thread of mercy in the hand of God. That's, that's how we need to approach it. It's not a pompous attitude of our nation is actually a, oh my goodness, thank you, God. You're hanging on to us. We're going to continue to seek and we're going to continue to pray and we're going to continue to lead the charge forward because we know his judgment has a timeline, right? God is hearing the cries of his people. Now, what is very clear as it relates to the judgment on God, on people, and in a nation, in a nation is, that, is that God always gives people multiple opportunities to repent before angels and judgments are released upon people. I mean, you look at Noah, 120 years, right? So in other words, God visits in mercy before he strikes in judgment. So if you look at Noah, 120 years before the flood, Lot was warned 24 hours before Sodom was buried, burned. I mean, Jerusalem was warned 38 years before the city was actually destroyed. Now, I mean, how, how do we experience these warnings? How do they come? Where do we see them? When, when you say, Moses, well, you, you're telling me to be careful not to stamp the judgment on God on certain things, to, to be careful how I use that, you know. But, but how do I experience? Well, the warning comes through preaching, dreams, vision, angelical visitations, manifestations of the vocal gifts of the Holy Spirit. All these things are biblical and can be activated according to the will of God in our lives. That's true. That's biblical. Okay? It can happen. The problem is, with the warning and revelation of judgment is how we bring it to others. How do you tell someone, right? It's like addressing the issue without addressing the issue. We have this approach towards people nowadays. 
We like to address the sin before we address salvation. I can't stand when somebody tells me a horror story about a person and how bad they are and how much they're going to have to stop doing what they're doing before they even address the, the concept of salvation in the first place. What a person needs is Christ. Right? Nothing I do could overcome the cross. You understand that, right? I mean, you're bad, but you're not that bad. Right? <laughs> we like to tell ourselves, we're, I mean, but you don't know me. You don't know what I did. We got horror stories, man. I'm bad. I'm a bad man. I mean, you don't know what I did, but I know what Jesus did. Right? So it can't, you can't overpower that. You can't overcome that. I don't care what your story says. I don't care how many people you killed. I know, I know. I do care, but you know what I mean. <laughs> right? <laughs> you get what I'm saying. You get where I'm going with that, right? <laughs> don't leave yet. Don't leave yet. Hang in there, please. Don't leave. So how do we take it to people? How do, how do we take this message to people? How do you deliver a message or a warning to a group of people who can't relate to what you're saying? Do, who don't understand where you're going with this? Let's take Noah, for instance. It may have been difficult for Noah's generation to comprehend the message of the idea of, watering, of water covering the earth because many believed that it hadn't rained before. Okay? Genesis chapter 2, verse 5, the Bible says, Neither wild plants nor grains were growing on the earth. For the Lord God had not yet sent rain to water the earth. And there were no people to cultivate the soil. Instead, spring came up, springs came up from the ground and water all the land. So Noah spent 120 years telling people that it's going to rain a lot. Right? How do you take a message to people where they can't comprehend and understand? Could you imagine being Noah, building a boat? I mean, he was the crazy guy in town, right? I mean, who buys that message? Noah, it's going to rain a lot, huh? You're kind of overdoing it with this boat, man. Right? That's what we would have all done. He's the crazy guy. 120 years strong building a boat for some rain that has never happened that apparently is going to happen, right? We as believers are and will be continually mocked as doom and gloom prognosticators who spread fear and anxiety as we tell others that Christ is coming soon. This has become our job. This is our duty. And many have a difficult time handling the pressure. We don't even want to tell people. Because it's been so long, man. Right? That's what my grandpa used to say. Christ is around the corner. He's coming soon. We sound like Noah. <laughs> We're the crazies. Right? Now, we have to educate ourselves so when others question our level of thinking or, or where we are coming from with these ideas, you know, 
we, we know how to articulate and how to express it, right? Spend your time getting yourself ready. So you're not just saying Christ is coming soon. It's gonna, you're telling them how it's going to happen. You know what I'm saying? The signs that may take place before that takes place, right? How you need to get ready for it, you know? We have to prepare ourselves, you know? There are biblical uh, terminology that tells us how can people be transformed, sent up into heaven when Christ returns, and how is all this going to happen? Well, Enoch was translated alive. It's scriptural. Elijah was transported in his physical body in a, in a chariot of fire. It happened. Jesus himself was lifted into heaven with a glorified body. The saints who came down out of the grave after Christ's resurrections were, were taken to heaven at some point. These things have taken place in Scripture, and we can, we can articulate those things, right? We're not just the crazies. We have to prepare ourselves to be the voice of hope that people hear, right? We're called to preach hope, not judgment. We're, we're love. We love because we, something inside of us wants justice. So we, we, we tend to lean towards judgment. It's just like, oh, you did something wrong. Something wrong should happen to you. You pay for that. When we haven't paid for our sins, Right? But we lean towards judgment. What we, what we must understand is that the Bible teaches that even if some don't believe, their unbelief cannot prevent the word of God from being true. You and I must preach Christ and how he's soon to return. That is a huge, there's a huge different difference between being bold and being bold with focus. You know? I, I always use the used car salesman analogy because I think it's, it, it relates, right? When, when I go into a dealership, they're not selling me on how much I'm going to regret buying this car. I go into a dealership and he tells me this car's got the best, car, the, the best gas mileage. You know what I'm saying? What's a $500 payment? Right? And it's all, oh, you're going to love it. Third row seats. Look how much space is in here. Toe hitch, man. Oh, my gosh. It's, you're going to love it. This thing's electric, not electric, sometimes electric, sometimes gas. This thing is the perfect thing. And we eat it up. And three months later, we regret that payment and go through the motions again and do it all over again. And it happens throughout our lifetime. But we tend to have the same approach when talking about Jesus. Right? We like the, the doomsday. We would rather promote heaven with hell than with a message of hope and salvation. We would rather tell people you're going to burn one day if you don't stop than tell them your life is going to be so much better than it is. There is hope found. I've become so much better. I'm not, I don't live for God because I'm afraid of hell. Because he saved me and transformed me and changed me and giving me more than I could ever hope for. That's our message of hope. Who's the judge? God is. That judgment will come and go as he pleases. You and I are called to preach hope. In Luke chapter 4, Jesus decides to quote Isaiah 61. And he talks about verse 1, 2, and 3. You know what part he left out? The judgment part. And he closes the book. Why? 
because he wanted people to understand that he was there to save them. That he wasn't there to devastate them, to destroy them. That he was bringing salvation, not destruction. So he stands in Luke in, Luke in front of people, opens Isaiah 61, reads verse 1, verse 2, verse 3, and then stops before verse 4 starts talking about the wrath of God. And you're like, but Jesus, he, he's bold. It's not about being bold. It's about being focused on what we're called to do and what our job is, right? It's not about being able to discern the judgment of God, whether he did or he didn't. No, it's about doing our job that we're called to do, to preach the hope of God. So don't throw these things around so loosely, right? It's about being bold with focus. We're not hiding the message. We're not talking about a watered-down gospel. No, you don't know. What you do know is that there's hope found in Jesus. What you do know is that what he did in the cross will cover any sin, will overcome any problem that someone has. And what he has to offer to someone's life is better than anything that they could ever hope for. Amen? Are you with me? All right. Should I keep going? <laughs> no, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to stop there. I'm going to stop there. I don't want to mess it up. <laughs> I don't want to mess it up. I probably already did. Um, but I, I, I wanted us to, to understand judgment and run this parallel so we could comprehend it. But at the end of the day, understand that it's, it's, it's practically not our job to put ourselves in that position, you know? It's, it's good that we have discernment. We're called to be the light. People will look to us and turn to us for answers when these things take place. And what I'm telling you is that you do have answers, but, <laughs> but they're not the ones you think they are. <laughs> or you're, you know what happened? It's because he sinned so bad, God got him finally. That's what happened. That's not the message God is calling us to speak. That's the God that you want me to serve? The one that, that killed that one guy? Because he was misbehaving? Yeah, man. You better get your life right. <laughs> that's, what, that's, the, that's the great commission. That's what you've been called to this world for, right? Repent or burn. Is that it? I don't think so. He hasn't done that with our lives. Right? If that's the angle that God took over my life, I wouldn't be here right now. I would be dead. But he hasn't done that. Right? So we have received a lot of grace and mercy in our lifetime. Right? I always say that if God stopped today, he has already done enough. If he stopped yesterday, he did enough. If he stopped at the cross, he did enough. All right? Everything else is icing on the cake. And that's what people need to hear. That that's, that there's more where that came from, right. right? Would you bow your heads and pray with me? Heavenly Father, we just want to thank you. God, in, in, in no way, shape, or form do we want to act like our morality, Lord, surpasses your understanding and your knowledge, Lord. We're, we're, we're so limited to what we can comprehend in a lot of ways, Lord, when it comes to an all-knowing, all-powerful God, the things that you control, the things that you oversee. Lord, you, you decide to bring judgment. 
you know what triggers it. You know what stops it. You know what keeps it going. You know what extends your mercy. Lord, you have called us humbly to do a job. And we just pray, Lord, that you would give us the understanding and the ability, Lord, to answer that call so that those around us seeking hope may find it, that we would spread the light of Christ in a world of darkness, that we would continue to carry our country in our backs, believing, Lord, that we are the remnant, placed in this place for a reason, for this very moment, for this very season, called to a community to make an impact for the glory of your kingdom. Lord, we are unworthy people. We don't deserve anything that you have given us. But yet you consider us and you include us. And we're so thankful for that. We love you, God, and we thank you for everything that you do and the things that you'll continue to do. Bring light to our lives. Give us clarity in what we see, what we feel, Lord, so that we may be closer to you than we have ever been, being led fully by your Spirit, accomplishing the great work that you have called us to. Thank you, God, for including us in your plans. We pray all this in your name. Amen. Thanks for listening. If you enjoyed this episode, make sure to leave a five-star rating and review. If you'd like to hear more, be sure to subscribe to Pastor's Prophecy Hour on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you get your podcasts. If you'd like to hear more from Greater Life Church, including our Sunday morning services, go to our website, greaterlife.church.